Okay. Welcome to As It Is in Heaven. I heard only six or seven of you have seen this movie, so that indicated to us we need to show it. If 75% have not seen this movie, because it, it does all the work for us. This movie was made around one or two ideas. There is no sin, and God does not forgive because he's never condemned. There are two Course in Miracles lines, whoom, right in the middle, and everything was written around it. They even picked the main actress because she said those two lines with such conviction that it didn't matter what she looked like or what her experience was. They built the whole movie around her with those two lines. So it's a classic tonight, and I think some of you have seen that you know, our, our teachers, Eric and Emily and Netta and Ricky, I mean, I think Netta's probably the only one who's actually trained with how to, how to undo the ego through voice liberation. And yet our other three, Ricky or Zach and Pete and Emily, they're all trained with undoing the ego. And so when you get these devoted teachers who've been here anywhere from, you know, five to ten years, and that's been their sole focus. The content is out in front. Then the light backdrop of voice liberation or music really just helps support a, a rapid undoing of the of the ego, which is really why you came. You didn't really come to become a professional singer. Did anyone come to become a, a professional? <laughs> Eric's like, <laughs> Mark. You know, you came to, to wake up using the voice, so to speak, as the back, the inroads. And this movie is entirely about that. Its purpose is awakening from start to finish. And they use the backdrop of music. The main character, I forget his name, but Mikael Michael or whatever. He's, he's a professional mus- musician, a conductor. And you'll see right away, he burns out right from the beginning of the movie on music for music's sake. But the Holy Spirit does not put anything to waste. Whatever you invested a ton of mind energy into, he's going to take that and turn it around on itself so that you can quickly wake up to God. So his skills get used for waking up his family that he finds back in Sweden. And it's a beautiful metaphor, too, that his whole life he's been running from this abuse memory. And his, his, his I think it's his father or something, but some kind of abuse memory he's been running. And it isn't until he says, I'm going to go home and face it, like those of you saw the movie um, Forever My Girl. didn't matter how good he was at music until he could face that abuse issue in the mind. His music didn't have heart, it didn't have soul. This movie also faces the idea of competition. They're even willing to go into a competition solely to undo the idea of competition. So... Everything that our teachers here have been doing so beautifully and amazingly is is about using what the ego made to undo the ego. Even music is of the ego. But when given over to the Holy Spirit, oh my God, it's it's amazing, miraculous. So I think that's it. It's a really deep movie. We're just gonna play it probably straight through. David's over there right now watching it at Angel's Landing. (laughs) 
because we, we were both going to come in straight at eight and and join you but he thought oh, i'm going to watch it anyways so he'll pop in here around eight o'clock and then we'll have a session afterwards so okay thank you everyone Two hours and 13 minutes. I do want to say, too, this was made by a 20-year Course in Miracles student, Kai Pollock. David's met him, and I think Kirsten, too. And they went over, and he told us all these inside scoops. And I think the opening scene you're going to see with the wheat fields, and it's also the closing scene, you know, they ran out of money to film these scenes, and he had this vision. He knew it needed to be in there. And uh, he mortgaged his house in order to film the final, the beginning and the final two scenes. And this movie, we were in Australia, I think, when it came out, and there was a town in Australia where they played it. It was the longest-running movie they've ever played. Every night for over a year, they just kept playing. And a town in Germany was so inspired by this that they flew all the whole, because it, it healed their whole town. They flew the cast and crew down from Sweden just to celebrate everything that they did with us. So we're going to get two hours of all of this right now. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs>
of the denial use of it never happened, but it's wonderful that we can approach an experience of forgiveness that shows us experientially that it never happened. None of it. And that's what true forgiveness is really about. But And there was some things that I've heard throughout the history that, and even from modern thinking that they kind of send some zingers uh, in here that are not exactly true. Like uh, Ingrid saying to Stig, the church invented sin. No, the church did not invent this is the sin. <laughs> Let's take the church off the cross. <laughs> not the church, but the ego and sin are, are synonymous, so if you believe in the ego, you believe in sin. At least that's its version of, of evil, we'll say, or darkness being real. And so basically what we are all coming to see is that sin needs um, needs to be misinterpreted, it has been misinterpreted, it needs to be correctly interpreted and that's the first step in releasing it from the mind, it's to see that it's an error to be corrected, not some kind of permanent black mark on the soul or some eternal damnation or darkness, that's, that's what the ego would have, have the mind believe, that there's no getting rid of it. But it's just an error to be corrected and the good news, it already has been corrected and yet, yeah, why we're here in this room watching this too is just to to um, look at the emotions that came up during this movie. Because I've heard it's been a pretty emotional workshop here already before this <laughs> this movie. <laughs> it just stirs the pot a little bit. <laughs> stirs the pot. And what really catches my attention every time I watch this is again, you know, you've come to a monastery where we say no private thoughts and no people pleasing and that was a big theme through that whole movie, you know. Lena with her doctor and it kind of erupting at the whole choir. You all knew and none of you said a word and that theme, Homfried being called Fatso, Sausage Boy, since he was a little boy in, in the same class, and then it was said one too many times, then Homfried exploded. <laughs> it was like, and, and then Homfried said, and you all laughed along, again, you all laughed along for all these years. And he just repeated it, and you see all the look in everyone's face. So the, the theme, I think, one of the big themes in here is, is this idea of private thoughts. Like there, there is a shame around certain things, and so certain things are like not talked about and pushed out of awareness, even by a whole town or a whole group, those were a couple extreme examples 
of the, the private thoughts, the secrets coming up into awareness. And then when they do, you can just see the, the camera pans and looks at all the faces and it's almost like you all are part of this. You all left or you all knew in, in those two extreme cases. And that's really why we try to get in touch with the unconscious because the unconscious mind is really a belief, is, a, is basically a thought that has been judged in a very harsh way and then pushed down into the mind to kind of like sub, submerse it. Try to forget about it, but it's still there. It's believed to be real and then it's pushed out of awareness to become an assumption, to become a belief full of expectations that comes shooting up when it's judged that somebody in form didn't, should have been more honest or something should have been different. Even Lena there with, with our friend, the conductor, the main character, she, you know, she a couple times really came at him almost like, are you going to be honest here? Are you going to lie to me too? And, and that's the feeling that everyone who comes to this planet has deep down is there's a, there's a sense of some kind of dishonesty of being lied to. It can be projected onto parents, it can be projected onto the government, it can be projected onto ministers and priests and nuns. It can get projected onto time and space. The ego does that quite easily to keep it buried and to keep it sealed and to keep it beyond the light and beyond the correction and that's what all the blame game comes in. Of, of blaming the world, blaming the world. So those are the two biggest dynamics of the ego. It tries to exist, it tries to perpetuate itself through denial, stuffing things down, pushing them out of awareness or by projection. You did this to me. You, you hurt me. You know, the blame game or the denial game, those are the biggest games that the ego uses. And these kind of movies are actually helpful because we can see those dynamics played out, acted out so obviously. And it doesn't matter how many times we watch it, but we finally are going to get wise to this blame game and this stuff it game. Because those are not going to allow a healing to occur. We have got to learn to take responsibility for our state of mind. Like Gabriella's song, it's my life to live, it's my mind to attend to. I am not going to play the blame game and I'm not going to hide this darkness when it comes up. I'm going to forgive it or release it. And that's what we're practicing. That's what really this whole voice liberation workshop, you know, getting in touch with that. The more you start singing, it does help you get in touch with what's, what lies beneath. Because, you know, we have all kinds of rationales. Oh, I can't sing, or nobody wants to hear my voice. It was so beautiful during Strawberry Fields, Eric, when you got up there and, and at one point you just let your voice cut loose and just the look on Netta's face, and she decided to do a double take, like, what's happening here? But there it was, it just, at one moment it just came out so clear and so strong and it was like, whoa! And we all have that. We all have that truth, that that true strong voice inside of us that 
that will not succumb to the weakness, that will not succumb to the past, that will not succumb to the error that rises up in us so strong. And that's like literally our true voice, you know, when we, when we hit that note, we go, whoa, sweet spot, I'm capable. That's me. <laughs> it's like, this is me. You know, so, so spectacular when we really hit that note. And then we want to hit it again. We're not satisfied with once. <laughs> but once it's up and once it's out, then there's something in our mind that's going, things are never going to be the same. I am not going to play victim. I'm not going to play trapped. I'm not going to play poor me. I'm not going to play I'm not enough. I'm not going to play little anymore. That true voice rising up means the tables have turned. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in the Bible 2,000 years ago. He said, be of good cheer, for Satan is underfoot. <laughs> this peace house I've had since 1996, I sometimes take walks in the neighborhood and if I walk down Station Avenue and up, I walk up these long sets of steps and I come up to this uh, St. Bernard's Church and I walked in there and I look at this statue and it's, it's uh, Mary and Mary has such a calm look on her face and kind of a little bit of a smile even and she is so serene, the statue of Mary is so serene, then as you follow it down She's sitting there, you follow down her knee and you go down and she's got the snake under her foot and there's an apple stuffed in the snake's mouth and she's got her foot right over the neck and this, this snake is there with his apple and, and Mary's like in a meditation. <laughs> Because someone was telling me there was a snake spotted a few days ago or something, but this one is underfoot, meaning will not tempt me, will not torment me, will not control me anymore. It's a very strong symbol. And that's what we're here for. We're here to empower the mind, to strengthen the mind's awareness of that true voice, of awareness of that presence of love. And we are saying, we're calling out from our hearts saying, whatever it takes, Lord, you know the way. You guide me into the still waters. You make that small, still voice known to me. Make it loud and clear for me to follow. Follow the way, follow the direction. You lead the way. You show the way. I would not lead, I would but follow. That's the, really the pathway of authentic spirituality is listen and follow. And when interference comes up, then let, let it. Let the darkness arise, let the interference come up, let the secrets come up. We're, there's no harm in voicing what was hidden. 
as a means of letting it go. There's no consequences to letting it up. Ego is going to try to prevent that. It's going to say, don't let it up. You'll be rejected. You'll be friendless. You'll be alone if you let that up. The ego says, if you let that up, everyone will know just how your mind really is. And it's not really the truth. It's just a step in coming back to that remembrance of just how my mind, how innocent my mind really is. That's the truth. And so it just takes a, it takes some practice actually, but feeling safe enough to, to say, hey, you know, this is what I'm going through. And sometimes people even say, you know, this isn't personal, but hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I actually feel. This is my pattern. Do you mind if I disclose my pattern so that I can set it free? To break away from hiding, hiding the pattern. And the only reason we would hide it is we must believe it's true. Why would you hide the truth? It must be there's something believed to be wrong. And you could tell in this movie even that um, there was, you know, that our conductor and our, our main character and Lena were coming a little bit closer and closer and closer, but then when they're seen together, she says, the car drives by, now everyone knows. <laughs> knows what? <laughs> and then the time when they kiss, uh, for the first time, you see the look, they both looks like two boxers in a boxing match that have been hit. They're both kind of, what just happened? <laughs> like, uh, look on their face, they're kind of staggering, <laughs> staggering around, looking around like... And, and really, it does touch on that. The guilt around sexuality is still, again, the, the mind's identification with the body always brings some uncomfortable feelings to mind. Why? Because the mind doesn't truly have an identification with the body. It's the ego that set up the world and the body as a false identity, and it's the identification that's deep in the mind that is where the guilt comes in. Identifying with the body, with time, instead of eternity, instead of spirit. So that's why we are given opportunities to be used in purpose, to let the voice for God speak through us, to let the, the presence of God smile through us, to let the presence of God laugh through us, to let the presence of God hug through us, to allow, even for a time, for our body to be used as St. Francis' prayer, Lord, make me an instrument. He's really calling out to the Holy Spirit in that prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. He's praying to the Holy Spirit. You control the puppet. You use this thing that was made by the ego for the purpose of reaching eternity, for the purpose of, of learning how to love truly, for the purpose of, of expressing love in, in a way that expands the mind, expands consciousness, and helps it rise back up. Remember that song from Joe Cocker, Love lift us up where we 
belong, you know. It's just lift my awareness is the prayer. Lift my prayer, my awareness higher and higher and higher, closer and closer and closer to pure spirit, that I may know my unconditional divine love, that I may know my true self as God created me, the spirit, pure spirit. And so, to me, that's that's what this is all about, and that's what I like. I remember when I talked to Kai Pollock, the maker of this film. He wrote, he and his wife, he told me how he met her synchronistically about one o'clock in the morning one night where he was guided to go to this kind of a disco place that when when he knew it was closing, but it went anyway because his fear was calling him so strong. That's where he met his soulmate, his wife. And this was the beginning of letting his movie making skills, which were quite legendary actually, be used in for a higher purpose and his wife and and the he I met him right in the little studio where they whiteboarded where they drew the characters out and they they were having so much fun making this movie whiteboarding everything and then it all came about but you know he had to mortgage his house to to shoot that scene the bully scene you know with the the field the really tall grains, he had to mortgage his house to shoot that scene that he had seen in a vision and he had to go to Africa, North Africa, to find, he had already seen it in a vision but he couldn't find that kind of tall grain anywhere in Europe so he had to go down there and bring the, you know, come to shoot that and uh, and also this was a very important movie. You could see at the very end, the beginning scene was the bullies, which got played out in the river scene. He's trying to say, it's me, it's me, Connie, it's me. You know, like we've done, we've played this scene out already in the field and now we're playing it out in the river, the, the bully scene. And yet, in the end, you know, I don't know if you know too, you could see at the very end he's laying there and the blood's all over, splattered all over one side of the face and I was watching the breathing and then the breathing stops. And so he shopped around this script to all of his movie friends and they're like, no, you can't have the main character die. You can't have a lovable main character die at the end. This is Disney doesn't do it and you can't do it either. But to me, that was that 20 years of Course in Miracles underneath saying, let's reach that song. Remember when he was telling Lena about the 58 seconds? Wow, 58 seconds, she said that's a long time. For 58 seconds, when he was in Prague in whatever, 1982, he experienced the oneness. He experienced the universal song. He experienced what it's all for. He had his holy instant in Prague when he was much younger and he never forgot that. And so to me, that was so beautiful in the end where the main character's got blood all over one side of his face, he's got the biggest smile on his face, his cheeks are full and then he's breathing and he's just kind of leaning back and then I noticed the, there was no breath, there was no movement in his body just at that one. Then you, they flash to 
the bully scene where he's lifting up the little boy with the fiddle, raising him up, almost like, the no, the inner child is freed, freed from bullying, freed from this belief in victimization, from, from something harming you, from mistreatment. He was raising the child up, like we did it. And that's how he chooses to end his movie, <laughs> the, main, the main character laying there and with all the blood. Of course that's why, because that's our final symbol that, that this resurrection we're looking for, this happiness that we're looking for, this salvation, call it whatever you want, grace, it, it's beyond the body, it's this harmony that's far, 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 far transcends the body that the death of a body ultimately doesn't mean anything, much less like the birth of a body. Those are just ideas, those are concepts that the ego has generated, you know, as part of its linear time construct, its veil over the truth, and, and none of those things really have meaning. In fact, there's some cultures, I remember in, like, like down in New Orleans, where they, they actually celebrate birth, they, they celebrate death and they mourn birth. It's kind of a, it shows you how relative everything is when you celebrate. <laughs> Imagine, let's have a big party, so-and-so died, and then they have a, a, a wake or a mourning. <laughs> it's flipped from the way, usual way of celebrate a birthday. <laughs> celebrate your death day, <laughs> mourn your birthday. But it just shows how relative, really, that those are just constructs. They don't really have any kind of eternal validity. There's something we're going for that's, what do you call it, take the music down. He remembered for those 58 seconds we take the music down. And then he worked with him, he didn't even know what he was doing, but he said, no, if anybody has something on their chest they have to share, when somebody had a grievance, they, they were blocked. Everybody in the room was blocked from the harmony. Isn't that cool? That's another clear demonstration of holding on to private thoughts and secrets and grievances. Blocks the flow, blocks taking down the music. You know, there's so many symbols in this movie. So, we're really interested in, we do have a roving, do we have a roving mic? Yes. Zach, the purple mic is here. <laughs> I would love to hear what you what you all saw in this movie, after your day of letting it up. Yep, Melissa's up front here. Oh, and there's some in the back, someone in the back too. I can use this one in the meantime. We'll, we'll go to that next, we'll take Melissa up front here. Okay. I... I'm remembering the moment when he's learning how to ride the bike and then Lena comes he comes and and she realizes he doesn't know how to and she's like you can't do this alone. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. That was a sweet moment. She's on a horse <laughs> and he's stuck against the wall. <laughs> can't can't go forward. Yes, in the back.
It's coming back. Hello. There it is. It's Hello. back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting to see the relationship between the pastor and um, what's his name? Henry? Not Henry. The main character. David. Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. Anyways. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because, uh, yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like that sort of thing really, it does happen, you know, when you have, like, his his whole his whole life is just made up by the ego the pastor you know and for him daniel to come in and just to be who he is and to show the pastor that i thought that was really interesting you know that that I think that could be like a doorway for me to look at myself, you know, when like other people come into my life and see how that affects me, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. that was thought. a fascinating relationship too, because we, you know, we more and more we got to see Stig and we got to see the his seemingly world in the church and it kind of came out at the end when he had the gun and he kind of poured it all out you know that you've taken everything away from me every he says everything but it was more of like wanting people's respect wanting to be liked um wanting to have some control you know all the things that seem to be very human that are part of the human nature and then and then we also got to see Daniel at the beginning of the movie, how he was in this high-pressured conductor life where his entire life was planned for eight years in the, in the future. You know, he says to his, his like tour coordinator, you know where I'll be in eight years? Yes, Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, what a joyful tour coordinator. But, but to me, that was, that was a, that was an important scene at the beginning because it shows how when we get too locked into time and future goals and plans, the stress level can be huge. I mean, he, he was sweating, you know, conducting. And then I was about, I, I think all of us were pretty much ready. We watched him sweating and coughing and then he's conducting and he looks like it's exerting himself <laughs> in an enormous way. And then when he walks off, I kind of, the first time I saw this, I kind of expected him to collapse. Like, like I was feeling like, wow, this guy is really stressed out. He's, he's gone way off into some kind of concept about himself. And then when he, he basically dropped it all and went back to that school, childhood town where he grew up and that empty school and saw the rabbit and got so excited just seeing the rabbit in the snow. And then when he went outside and he was jumping up and down with his bare feet and the snow was coming down and he was throwing, it was almost like, that was like a memory 
of coming more connected to his true self, you know, to the simplicity of love, to, to the core. And then as soon as he started working with the choir, he said, we have to pu pull down the music, we've got to find the core, find, find the core, it takes concentration. I think he was describing the spiritual journey, it does take concentration, and we do need to find the core, and so I was paying attention with all these words, but it's interesting that, um, that in the end Stig had to do that too, he had to come back to that basic sense of, of, of love and honor and respect, that's why he brought Ingrid's bag to the bus, and said, here I packed, packed your walking shoes, and she said, thank you. That's very considerate. You know, it was almost like there is a pride, even with the religious symbol of, of church, there was so much pride wrapped up in it. And Daniel was coming from so much pride wrapped up in performing. And they both had to come together and let their relationship be used for forgiveness, you know, for finding that true innocence. And that, that was a beautiful interplay between those two. Because he was, a, even when Stig, oh, he came at the very beginning, you know, and he brought a Bible as a gift. <laughs> and and Daniel was almost like, uh-oh, almost like, oh, religion. <laughs> like he wasn't so thrilled with that Bible, but Stig was just offering it as a gift, you know, a welcome gift, you know. So that, that's true. That was a very fascinating uh, relationship dynamic in there, undoing. I like I like the way you said it. <laughs> Beautiful. Perfect. And we've got hand up right here. Here it comes on the other side from Zach. It's oops. Whoa. Okay. If you get it too close, then you got a problem. Um, it's interesting because when the minister came and offered the Bible, I thought it was me that was going whoa. But you, but you saw a reaction in him, or was it you, <laughs> Daniel? I, I think he was kind of neutral, but I think he he wanted to get away from society and everything, so he thought he was coming to a, like a vacant <laughs> schoolhouse, and it was more Stig coming in, and it was almost like, what's this? Mm -hmm. And then even the gift of the Bible, it's not like. Oh, thank you, you know, <laughs> thank right, you for right. the gift. He was a little, like, curious, like, what is this? No, thank you. You know, when Stig already started to, you know, maybe you could do something here. And he was like, he was, I think, so full of expectations that he was going to burst and literally fell down. So I think he was, and then, of course, the way the Spirit slowly brought him in to the choir and everything was sweet to watch how the Spirit opened his heart up. And okay. it was really interesting because, okay, so he shows up wanting solitude and then everybody keeps moving into his space and instead of throwing a fit and resisting it, he considers it. And in considering it, he begins to let it happen. The minister, when he had his domain and some, and Daniel entered it, and thus started a new way of thinking in the community, he then did just the opposite. He was just like, you know, resisted totally and raised hell because things were changing. And so it's Siv kind of, too. 
the Siv. The minister Stig and Siv. I love these Swedish names. Stig, Siv. <laughs> Those were the two that were kind of a little bit in an unholy alliance there. She was like watching and reporting back. What did you hear? Closes his door for privacy, you know. Yeah, that was pretty, yeah. pretty interesting. <laughs> Here we've got, I'll pass it over. <laughs> Very Ironically, I'm going to say um, I, all three of those characters you just named came to listen, but what was their purpose? So Daniel was listening for love, and uh, Stig and Siv were listening to destroy. For fear, for yeah. Fear, yeah. yeah. That's true, that's beautiful. That's interesting. Um, I love the scene where um, uh, Daniel came to Stig's house and Stig had like the gun and everything and then um, when he started having some kind of an attack or whatever then Daniel was just holding him you know and just pure love that was you know with him so it was just like this yeah it was a big reversal you know and um and also Lena, she was just so open-hearted. Um, she didn't really hold her love back from anybody. And the, the um, I can't remember the boy's name, but... Tori. Tori. Yeah, she just, you know, she wasn't afraid of him at all, nothing to do with him, and would even say that she loved him out loud without any fear of, like, is this going to get... Is he, he going to take it the wrong way, or you know something like that and that was pretty amazing to me just she was just like an open book you know which i really appreciated watching that it was really beautiful yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that was called Lena's song there was Gabriella's song but fly with me and take the sky is the beginning you know just the first line there's such an openness fly with me and take the sky you know that's like Let's let's find the truth of love, which is very open and all inclusive, not so possessive. And yeah, it's beautiful. I like the scene where Gabrielle goes to visit Connie in jail, and she says, "I don't blame you." I know you did the best you could and I hope you make good use of your time in here and to me she was holding a space for him Sorry. yeah and, and I loved how after she said that I know you did your best the line was it's strange we all do yeah. which was a great commentary on all of humankind because I think that is a gateway. I know for my biological father and I, when we were healing, that was reaching that point of you did the best that you could do based on what you believed. I did the best that I could do based on what I believed. And we're here together to lift our beliefs higher and higher to the light, to have the beliefs purified. And what what happens when you have keep lifting ego beliefs to the light repeatedly, then you reach the last belief, Jesus calls it forgiveness. It's like a blanket of peace 
blanket of peace and light that crosses, covers over the whole world. Because that's a belief that is shared with the Holy Spirit. And of course that would be the gateway back to heaven if we could reach that high state of mind that was shared with the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit's way of looking at the world. So t to me, that, that really fits in with this whole thing of no private thoughts. Like that's why we are so open. That's why we trust, we disclose whatever's been going on inside of us. We, we trust that enough. We trust the relationship is safe enough with the Spirit with us to expose anything. And we love that about every movie where the main characters finally, you know, after two hours, they spill the bean. I mean, I always laugh nowadays because I'm so into this that like when I watch the movie and in the first five minutes there's a secret and I'm, all, I'm like, tell him, tell her, tell him. So I'm there for like two hours. Tell him, and after two hours, I told you that at the, fir at the beginning of the movie, you wouldn't even had a movie. <laughs> you would not have even had a movie if you'd have told him and you'd have told her, you know. So then I'm like, what a formula, you know, they drag out, they sit there in a movie theater for two hours because there's some secret at the beginning, and then it, it oh, it's underneath the surface, and oh, we're close, no. And then it closed again, no, you know, and then, so it's like that's a Hollywood formula for making millions of dollars <laughs> is holding on to secrets in the mischievous ways. <laughs> but we're still happy. We say it has a happy ending if, if at the end it finally comes to light and they all smile and they laugh and they hug each other and we leave the theater. Oh, so that was worth the $15. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking all your thoughts. This is the easiest movie gathering you've ever done. I'm, I'm like a, you're a ventriloquist and I'm your, I'm your puppet. Saying everything. Yes. Okay. Um, I like that scene with the woman and the husband, Connie, when she went in and just said, just what we were talking about. And I also realized there's a time where we've done our best. It's okay to go. <laughs> she said, we two can't live together. Right. Yeah, because yeah, that's been going along a lot in my life. And I just came to that truth. You know, I love you. We've done our best. And it's time to go. And it feels so good, not bad or guilty or I should try. Let's try again or let's forgive or, you know, I, it's not... Nothing to forgive, or just, it's okay. And I also wanted to share how much I enjoyed the, the boy, Torres, um, how the two could understand him perfectly because they were listening with their hearts. And um, I love, too, how he's the one who really so got in that moment of chaos in the concert where his sound, he just stuck with his sound and that, that brilliance of the cuckoo boy you know, who just got them right where they needed to be in that moment, and everyone went from there. And I love, too, that the, uh, Danielle was able, gosh, a little great in the ceiling, convenient, you know, in a dying moment where you could hear that moment as you slip away. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it really <laughs> it was a great was movie. Cool. Yeah. And one of the things, I just felt like the whole movie, I'm like, wow, that was our entire session uh, with 
the earlier session, the healing, it could have been that movie, our group, in my opinion. <laughs> like, wow, they made the movie before again. we did our group, and here we're watching it. <laughs> there it is, so acted good. out. It's so good. But anyway, I'm loving this. Thank you so yeah. much, everyone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad you're bringing up that idea that there's these almost like orchestrated partings, orchestrated comings together to learn and orchestrated partings to learn. And when you were saying that the that it's sometimes it's time to say goodbye, I thought, hey, that's my favorite Andrea Bocelli, Celine Dion song. Time to say goodbye. You know, it's it's there's a blessing underneath it. And, and yet, to the ego, it's like, oh, it's trying to project meaning onto everything. Is it, oh, it's so sad and, you know, all this sadness or guilt or unfulfillment and everything. But those are all just false meanings read onto the, the scene and they don't really have any, any reality at all. We can really feel that. And it reminds me of a scene in Gandhi too. I don't know if you remember the movie Gandhi, but there was a, a minister that uh, worked closely with Gandhi there in, in India. But when things were heating up with, with the, the Hindus and the Muslims and everything and and Gandhi was in prison, and this minister came, and uh, his, he basically said to his dear, dear, dear friend, the minister just said, uh, for us there are no goodbyes. I love that line. Because he was basically saying, I need to move forward in what I'm doing without you. This white minister, <laughs> he's got all these <laughs> dealing with Hindus, Muslims, and it's like, no, that just is like messing things up here a little bit. <laughs> he didn't say it that way, but but it was kind of like, you're my dear friend, but from prison he said, you know, there are no goodbyes for us, even though he was saying it was a time of a parting, and it was a beautiful, poignant scene of love, even though they were to part, it was, there are no goodbyes, and that's and really, that's what's underneath it, I think, for all of us. We we know that it's all for a lesson, and there aren't really any real goodbyes. And how wonderful. That's a tears of joy with that one. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I also like the um, L Lena's practice of um, seeing the angel wings and knowing that when when she saw them on everyone that and you're ready yeah yeah, yeah. You're ready for heaven when you see angel wings on ev well, everyone or, yeah you <laughs> fulfilled your function yeah. and I, I did think there might have been a little nod to hollywood when they'd had sex and she mentions you know i think they're going to be grandpa will have to paint new another angel was that supposed to yeah. be oh we've just conceived yeah. I don't, okay. I think that was the fastest uh, yeah. conception <laughs> awareness in the history of film. <laughs> you picked that up too, yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> That's pretty quick. I thought I thought that meant about him that he I thought it she was well, who knows. Maybe, could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, she already saw the she saw the wings behind him. She mentioned that the first time when she explained. Yeah. So for some reason, I may have misinterpreted it. Yeah, but and a painting on the wall. Could I, could I, she, it was her grandfather, right. and then the, she was the little angel in there, and she was saying about painting another angel, so there was a little hint there, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see the pregnancy test, but... 
<laughs> we missed that. That's but. part two. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> um, I liked when at the beginning of the movie, I don't remember what age, but he knew his purpose from young age. And then, you know, after all his uh, career and getting sick and like breaking down, burning out, he retook his purpose. I was like, why them? Why them? Yeah, I, I open, think it opened people's hearts, right? Wasn't that yeah. it? Yes. I, yeah. The manager went right to that question after all those years. Well, I don't know how much time they were separated. Yeah. But it was like, hey, dude, how's it been? <laughs> how did you do it with these people? I love them. <laughs> so it was good that the manager was like, because the manager knew that he was striving for that from a young age, from, but that he was curious, like, with these people. What what was what was it that was different? That yeah, that was sweet too. His purpose was set in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it took such openness. I think the word that comes to mind is discover. Like when he went back to that schoolhouse, you know, he was just guided there. He was strongly to unwind from the pressure world of performance and everything and. Uh, yeah, it's kind of similar with with Lilo in our group. You know, she's come so she was right on the path of kind of stardom in New York and so forth, and then found the course and started feeling this something inside that was calling her that was not about a career and not about performance. And and then when you give up the commerce part of the singing, you know, it's like. Let the people sing. Let your heart song come out, like the Penguin movie, you know, where he's got to find his heart song. I feel like that's what the conductor was doing, and that's what Lilo is doing, and that's what you're all, in some sense, are here for voice liberation is to find your heart song, and and it's 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 free. It doesn't it doesn't have commerce connected to it. You know, like Jesus said, freely you have received, now freely give. He's offering us a state of mind that's so joyful and he wants us to give it away. But it's like, it's, it's not something that involves commerce. And I think that, that was the thing that, you know, when they first, uh, were like getting all excited about going to Austria and this thing, let the people sing. And our the conductor, you know, his, his first reaction was, no, 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 you can't compete. In music, I mean, maybe he was taking that lesson away from. I tried; it was terrible. <laughs> I was stressful. I was going to kill myself to go down that competing with music thing. And then um, the older woman that couldn't hear what was saying, Olga, she came in. Do, how do you know, Daniel, that we should we shouldn't go to Austria? In other words, yeah, that's good, the competition thing. But how do you know we shouldn't go to Austria? Meaning, maybe there's another purpose the Spirit has for us going to Austria that isn't about the competition, and that's exactly, Olga was right, that's exactly how it played out. They, they all harmonized, there was, in a, in a competition, they were all just singing, and, and it went that direction instead of the direction of who's, which chorus is the best from which country, you know, it, so, 
that's something that we can always ask ourselves, you know, humbly, like, okay, sh you're going to have to show me how to live a life free from competition. Jesus even says in the Course, you know, beware of, uh, he says something about, um, never underestimate your need, Jesus says in the Course, to be vigilant against the idea of competition. So he comes right out in the Course, even though the whole economic system is based on it, even family structures, churches are based on competition, the whole fabric of all of time and space is based on lack and competition. And then Jesus comes in with his zinger, never underestimate the need to be vigilant against the idea of competition. Olga was in her own way, <laughs> and so was Daniel. And then that ending was beautiful. It was harmonious. Everyone was singing together. They were taking down the music. You know, and it was beautiful. Profound. And we're also told, how do you live a life without competition? Well, it's called trust. Trust in the Holy Spirit, learning divine providence, learning to let all things be exactly as they are, but not believing that you personally have to survive, but that you have a, a high purpose to attain, to accept the atonement, and that even your road towards that atonement will be paved with whatever you seem to need. If you need food, if you need shelter, if you need whatever lessons to reach that pinnacle, it will be given you by the Holy Spirit. That's comforting too, to not think that you have to personally figure out how you're going to achieve it or accomplish it. You just have to want to move in that direction and then, here it comes, raining down, whatever you need. The means are given with with the end. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Eric. Um, just at the the one point at the movie where he goes to start teaching them, and they he keeps getting interrupted, and eventually they want to go to coffee. <laughs> and he says basically that, at least it said it to me, it was along the lines of an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. Something about an untrained that if they don't train, then they can accomplish, and it won't they won't be able to accomplish anything. I just thought that was pretty kind of a cool little ACIM thought thrown in there. It's kind of hidden. <laughs> and then Lena's saying, and coffee's important too, Daniel. <laughs> so, you know, you love the softness, the spirit, because he's all, <laughs> all freaky in there. Coffee's important too, but uh, we can certainly identify <laughs> with that. But whenever you're into mind training and you work with people, yeah, that's, you know, to try to, to, to convey how important attentiveness is, convey how it will take concentration, <laughs> it will take an effort. People don't even like the word effort. They, they'll say, oh, please, this should be effortless. And I said, well, it, it actually is, but not when you're addicted to the ego. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a, 
a salmon swimming upstream, you know, it, it takes some effort to uh, go against the current. And if the current in your mind is is ego, then there's going to take some effort. People don't like the word effort. Vigilance that I just mentioned, people are like, oh, no, I'm out. <laughs> Jesus has for vigilance. They count me out. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm too lazy. You know, but <laughs> but no, he uses effort, vigilance. You know, there's many parts in there because he's trying to reach the mind and say, well, you know, in your natural state, it's effortless. But when you believe in the ego, if that's, if that's your habitual way of thinking, <laughs> then you can interpret. Because people, you know, say to me, why does Jesus even use the word gentleness? Gentleness. Why is he talking about gentleness when this has just been hell? This whole journey is hell, 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 and then more hell at every turn. And it's like, well, yeah, the gentleness is one of the character, ten characteristics of a teacher of God, but it takes not only a little willingness, it takes great willingness to really feel in your heart like you're a teacher of God, not teacher of God slash teacher of ego, <laughs> depending on your mood of the moment. And so, yeah, the gentleness does come. And so does the joy and the peace and all the things that are promised. But we have to have determination and we have to sometimes be very vigilant. You know, be, that's one of his three lessons of the Holy Spirit, the earlier part of the text, be vigilant for God and his kingdom. And, and then we get, seem to get a lot of temptations, but they're just opportunities for us to be vigilant, to choose, choose True empathy, you know, come back, oh yeah, that's right, remember the love. Oh yeah, remember the love. Even in our moments of stress and strain, all of a sudden we can burst into laughter. <laughs> I've had people that are crying, that I'm with them and with them, maybe holding them, and then they burst into laughter. They just have that one moment where it just clicks in their mind and the whole thing, the whole scene seems funny and surreal and then you can't stop them laughing. They just laugh for ten minutes. You know, because they're like, ah, oh. but that's the, that's the key. We're here to turn the key. Yeah. It's good stuff. I did just want to say when I started the course, I don't know, two and a half years ago or so, I, I was kind of like, um, Daniel in the movie where, it was really harsh, really harsh, and um, but a surprising side effect was that I started to become less harsh and more relaxed, which shocked me, but it was very true, very true. And I know in the of course he says it's not a process, but it really feels like a process. <laughs> I, I, and I trust it because because I it, it keeps working and working and working and working. No matter where I'm at in my life, it's the only thing that's ever made any difference. It's the only thing. So, when he says we could wake up now, I think I know the answer. I usually get the answer. I don't really have to ask too many questions, but when he says we could wake up now, but we believe it's a process, is it just the fear? that joining into love at this present moment that it makes it a process 
it's a, it's a fear of loss. It's a fear that it's. There's actually a point in the course where he really he he talks about that in a very clear way, where he he talks. It's it's called the immediacy of salvation. It's quite late in the text, where he says you still believe that some time has to elapse between what you see is now and what is accepting the correction. And that time that is believed that is necessary to elapse is, is, involves fear. That it's not really there. But the, the plan and the correction had to, the atonement had to be built into time and space because there was so much fear. So time, you might say, is, if you look at it from the Holy Spirit, is a, is a way of, of coming to accept what is already given. The correction's been given long ago. At an ancient time when the separation seemed to occur, the, the correction was given instantly, but the accepting of that correction uh, is was built into time. So, actually what it is, is a miracle, which is called A Course in Miracles. A miracle is the time collapse. It's like, it's like if you had a celery stick, and at one end of your celery is the alpha, and one end of the celery is the omega. And of course Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, because that, Jesus is like a demonstration of the correction of the, it's all, all good. That's what he was meaning, I am the alpha and the omega, it's all good. There's really nothing to be afraid of, it's all handled, and well, I was using the celery as a, a celery sock as a timeline. I use the spaghetti thing sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a celery mood. Uh, so, the celery, is string theory, right? It's, it's, yeah. Kerplunk. Remember with all the little needles and you pull, you've got all the marbles and you just keep pulling the needles out and then finally, Kerplunk, but in Kerplunk you lose the game when when the needle when the the marbles fall. I'm saying you no, know, when all the marbles fall, the game is over. But it's a good thing <laughs> the game of time and space is over, and and that's just the idea that that it's going to take some time, you know, to accept to accept this, and um, but the miracle is like. Somebody said, well, what's, how do you talk about that in the celery stick? It's like, you're in the kitchen, you've got your celery stick there, then you've got your sharp chopping knife. Every time you, the celery stick gets a little shorter, you know, because you keep taking out chunks of celery. Well, that's, that's kind of a rough estimation of how the miracle works. You just, you, you take out chunks of time, the time that you believe you need, to accept the atonement, because there's fear involved. The fear is, oh my God, I'll be, I'll be obliterated if I'm just love and light. This person that I think I am will no longer exist. You know, I'll just, everything will be one and there'll be no more mini-me, to use a, uh, <laughs> a character. Austin Powers character, there's no more mini-me, and the fear of losing mini-me is pretty strong. And so that's where the process comes in, like, okay, you know, there'll be some time collapses in here, and the aha moment will come, yeah.
<laughs> Tech support wants the microphone. <laughs> Yeah, I was just noticing, um, now I've seen this movie several times and every time I, it always just flushes up tears, like that whole singing together and actually earlier today I was watching, uh, it was the 9 a.m. session with Emily and just, and they're all in a circle, hum, like humming, doing the same thing and I just, ah, I just felt my heart just so with it, it just felt so beautiful watching everyone like that equality and I just felt inspired after the movie as you were talking you brought up uh, how his manager had said oh you'll know <laughs> like, yeah you'll be in Philadelphia in six years or eight years or something like that and I something about Philadelphia that came back to my mind and I decided to look it up and the name Philadelphia means brotherly love so I was like yeah you'll be in brotherly love in six to eight years you know like in that state of mind, like him transcending at the end, and so that's what came in. And I just love this theme of um, of like transcending competition and all that, because that theme is, <laughs> has really been up for me for healing for the, well, I'd say probably my whole, <laughs> all my time in community, but. Definitely, it's been a theme past couple of weeks for me. So, it's just, and I feel even my next show with Andy is going to be on the theme of competition. <laughs> Andy felt it immediately at some point, and I've been feeling it more and more just with all my experiences and like wanting to teach what I would learn of going beyond competition and and trust and something about the idea of how can like how can you win. If someone has to lose, that, that thought has kept coming to my mind. Like, how can you actually win if someone's losing? So, yeah, it just it feels really dear to me this this theme of going beyond competition in this movie. Just wanted to share that. Beautiful, Nicholas. Yeah, as you were speaking, Jesus was singing that song. Remember, uh, Paul McCartney's. Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony. Side by side on my piano keyboard. Oh Lord, why can't we? You know, it's just, yeah, we love those harmonizing. That's the, with Emily in the group and then the whole group here. You know, when he first comes in, they're kind of sputtering. And he says, you know, it's mostly, mostly good. And they're like, mostly good. Did you hear that? <laughs> they jump on it. <laughs> they, they jump right on it. And because it, then it takes them to heights of more, of harmonizing together. Yeah. And imagine if every relationship was just, just based on harmony. And if every song was aimed at that, that simple harmony and, Imagine if music wasn't a business. You know, I know so many people who are artists. They have amazing voices and amazing songs, and then they, they'll tell me the same story. You know, it's like, well, I was just singing for fun. I just, when I was a kid, I was just singing for fun, playing music for fun and fun and fun. And then, as soon as it becomes a business, 
as soon as it becomes earning a living, it doesn't matter whether it's playing the violin or singing or painting or whatever, even sports, you know, when people are out there doing their Tai Chi and their movement meditation, just with the sole focus to, in, to merge, it's beautiful. And as soon as it comes down to that reciprocity exchange, I'll do this as a good or as a service, as a commodity, as a product, you know. And then, and then the, you look at your own identity. Is my identity a product? When you believe you work for somebody and you're a product in the system, you know, that's the same thing. So I really see that that's, that's what was the most, a helpful thing in my life was when Jesus first started speaking to me after I had the course he was like I got to show you divine providence I have to I have to experientially show you how important this is and I have to show you that I'll meet all your needs that you aren't going to meet your needs based on your past learning and your education and your skills and abilities I've got to show you that it's always me, always me, in every circumstance. I'm the provider, because that's how you can come back to seeing that the Spirit is is the provider. And that, and beyond that, that, that God is the source. That's what the lesson of divine providence is meant to teach us, is God is the source. I live and move in God. I am provided, I am sustained, I am sourced by God. That's the only lesson to learn. Beyond theology, beyond concepts, you know, I am sustained by the love of God. That's lesson 50. He's quite specific in that lesson. He, he tells you everything you believe you're sustained in. Pills, money, clothing, you know, being liked, even psychological things, being liked, knowing the right people, just boom, boom, boom. He just lays it out there and says, you believe in this world that you're sustained by everything but God. And then the whole lesson is, I am sustained by the love of God. So that's, for me, that was key, you know, to really experience that, really to the core of my being. Then I could be joyful. Then I could be defenseless. Then I could, you know, overlook error. But when you're looking through the ego's filter of lack, it's not so easy to overlook error. So-and-so didn't pay the rent. Hmm. So-and-so didn't pay me back. Hmm. So-and-so promised me this, and they didn't fulfill their promise. Hmm. You know, through the ego lens, it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm supposed to love you. It doesn't mean I have to like you. I'll love you when you pay me back the money you owe me. Or, you know, ego's got a lot of conditions on there when you're in that, lack belief system and then it just comes you know it seems like forgiveness becomes impossible when you believe in that lack is a reality you can't turn the other cheek you know it's more like you want to bring out a hook if somebody you know somebody smites you on one cheek you know the ego's like get them back hook them get them you know revenge revenge motive and and that's nothing to do with with true love. Laura. Is it? Yeah? Ah, okay. Is it, is it the same to express my um, private talks, talks 
uh, in front of a brother or sister or and in a journal, for example, because I have been expressing myself a little. Well, I have, I have had this period of expressing myself out loud, but now I feel like I would like to just write in my journal. I don't know if. Yeah, yeah journals are great. Journals are fantastic, and and. And in terms of expressing in terms in front of a brother, you might say that if, let's say you journal on something, on some grievance or whatever, and you journal, 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 and you really journal a lot on it, and you still feel it like there, then that's where maybe a symbol of, of going to somebody and say, listen, I, I don't want to hold on to this, these thoughts, but that can actually loosen it. It's almost like uh, if you get a stain on your dress, you know, and you try to wash, you wash the, in the regular wash cycle like three or four times and and it's not coming out. Then you have to use the stain remover. And so you can think of talking to a brother as guided by the Spirit could be like the stain remover, like, okay, we're getting this stain out. I'm not going to hold on to pride <laughs> any longer. You know, if I need to say it, then isn't there a song, Say What You Need to Say? John Meyer. Is that, so I think it's great that you're doing what you're doing. Journaling can be, yeah, it, may, it may go with the journaling. Yeah, it may go. Worked for me. <laughs> I did a lot of journaling. I don't know if we're done, but if we are, I have a few announcements. <laughs> Feel like a good time? Yeah, I think yeah, everyone's got to make it to bed here. <laughs> okay. Sometime. Great.